3: My mission is simple, to make you money. I'm here to level the playing field for all investors. There's always a bull working somewhere, and I promise to help you find it. Mad Money starts now. Hey, I'm Kramer. Welcome to Mad Money. Welcome to Kramerica. Other you want to make friends, I'm just trying to save you some money. My job, not just to entertain, but to educate teach context. Call me. 1-800-743-CNBC. Tweet me at Here we are at last. We're finally getting the long-awaited bacon, as in bacon into a cake, where the market starts assuming that there will be no good news on the trade war for a long time, which is why the Dow plunged 286 points today. S&P plummeted 1.19%, and the NASDAQ nosedived 1.58%, although it did rally from lower levels. But that's why I have brought this cake out to symbolize that the bad news is being baked in, or at least trying to be baked in. But the bakers still have some work to do. As I've been telling you over and over, the President Trump and the Chinese Communist Party have very little incentive to make a deal right now. They both think they're better off waiting out the trade war rather than trying to end it. Now, everyone on Wall Street is starting to recognize that this has become the new normal. That means we need to assume the president will indeed slap 25% tariffs on the other $300 billion with the goods we import from China. That's what's being baked in. And the last thing the market wants is more tariffs. So I say we need to bake in as much bad news as possible before we can find a bottom. That's the only way this market can put one in. However, it's not going to be an easy process. We might end up having a a little more downside, maybe a lot more downside. Why do I say this? What makes the situation more grim than i like to even be at here? First and foremost, it's become clear that this trade war with China is about a lot more than trade. Really, it's a glo- it's a conflict. It's a global conflict over hegemony. Who gets to rule the world? China is the first country to challenge American supremacy since the Soviet Union went under. The problem, President Trump is surrounded by cold warriors with a very 1980s mindset. We had Secretary of State Mike Pompeo on squawk box this morning, and at times he sounded like Secretary of War. In other words, what started as a dispute over trade practices has become a more existential conflict, and that makes it much more harder to de-escalate things harder to bake in. Second, as much as Wall Street hates tariffs, Trump loves them. He's adamant in his belief that the tariffs will pay for themselves. He thinks that the 21% of the 25% tariff is being paid for by the Chinese in the form of price cuts that they themselves have to put through to keep our business. In, In a lot of cases, that's true. That's why he's perfectly fine with leaving the tariffs in place, even imposing new ones. As he sees it, it's a great way to divert manufacturing business away from China while raising money for the government. But the stock market absolutely hates tariffs because they weigh down global commerce. They make everything slower, including GDP growth. In practice, these tariffs are a sales tax on the consumer, which is not great. But in the president's worldview, it's China that's paying the tax, not us. Now, he's not exactly right, but if anyone tries to tell him otherwise, they're likely to get fired. And a lot of it, the Chinese had to put through a lot of price cuts in order to keep our business. That is positive. Third reason things are looking grim, President Trump believes that the Chinese government has a habit of negotiating in bad faith. That's why he's using the tariffs as a club to strong arm them into coming to the table and then standing by whatever they agree to. Uh, uh, That's why he's cracking down on Huawei. We all knew Huawei is a bad actor, but the government never did anything about it. That was wrong. I think that's one reason why it's taken so long for the market to bake in the trade war to reduce negativity. We keep getting this on-again, off-again reprisal nonsense, which confuses investors. We got some after the close today by giving them hope that some kind of thaw might be underway. But maybe it isn't. Maybe it is. Maybe it isn't. However, it's impossible for the stock market to find a bottom when there's still people hanging on, waiting for good news on trade or some kind of reprieve after the close. We need to see genuine capitulation, people. Today, we got a little. Fourth, both oil and the bond markets are telling us, please be careful. The price of crude collapsed more than 5% today. Kind of staggering. Yield on the benchmark tenure is at 2.29%. Level's not seen since October 2017. That's the give-up we need to see in the other parts of the market, but not the equities. I don't think we're we're there yet with the equities. We're still making the cake. We still haven't seen the big estimate cuts that we can expect from the analysts who weren't expecting President Trump to keep raising tariffs. They need to bake the new normal into their numbers, and that could cause more selling. At the moment, the price of oil is presuming the worst. Treasuries are presuming the worst. Maybe the stock market has to catch up with them. Fifth, Trump believes it's easy for companies to move out of China. One more reason he's so eager to ratchet up the tension in the trade war. What White House is so confident that every company can easily leave China uh, within the time frame Trump gave them a little over a year. Unfortunately, uh, because many companies didn't expect the last round of tariffs to say nothing of what I expect would be the next round, they did not take action, not with alacrity. Now these companies need to change up their sourcing quickly, and that costs them money. That means numbers come down. It's clear to me that a ton of companies have simply not moved quite quickly enough. Unfortunately, this market is now very concerned that that the White House will make no exceptions. That means few American businesses will be immune to the tariffs. Uh, You're going to have more cuts in the semiconductors after the the Huawei ban. And, of course, Apple. Apple, which, which is at the center of the cake. Literally. Sadly, Apple's in a unique position where they could be hurt by retaliation from both sides. Unless the president gives them an exemption and deems the iPhone a national treasure, which I think it is, Apple may have to raise prices for goods sourced in China to the point that, get this, Samsung will have cheaper products. Well, there's a terrible outcome. There is a collateral damage no one was thinking about. Samsung might be the winner. Now, Apple stock was hammered again today, but I think the cake won't really be baked until we get some resolution that gets Apple stock out of this cake limbo and that causes it to go down at a pace. Well, right now, it just seems endless, doesn't it? Maybe all we need is for the Chinese government to utter Apple's name without trashing a company that gives, by the way, work to more than two million people in the country. And that's how negative sentiment has gotten here. Just give us a little, hey, I recognize they hire people. Put it all together and you got a toxic brew that weighed down the averages today. And we could have more downside until we stop hoping that the president will make a deal with China sometime soon. But the flip side here is that Trump always has one eye on the Dow Jones Industrial Average. I think you looked at today's decline and felt compelled to say something positive about the possibility of some sort of twisted trade deal that would even include the seemingly intractable Huawei. Take a look.
2: Probably a good possibility.
3: I don't know how China can do this, because I'll be honest, we're getting hundreds of billions of dollars brought in to our country. It's possible that Huawei even would be included in some kind of a trade deal. How would that look?
2: It would look very good for us.
1: The Huawei part, how would you design that? Oh, it's too
3: early to say. Uh, but that kind of have your cake and eat it to chatter just prolongs the agony. And that's why this cake is so hard to bake. The bottom line. Every time we get slammed as people give up on the trade talks with China, President Trump keeps taking out key ingredients from the cake and negativity. You should leave them in. Eventually, all the ingredients will stay in and the bearish cake will get baked. But until that happens, this market could keep being very precarious. Let's go to Eric in Florida. Eric. Hey, Jim,
1: I got a question about Grubhub.
3: I saw that this stock jumped up the first 3 weeks of first day 3 days of the week and I'm wondering if this has something to do with the assessment about Uber in terms of it not being the Wonderful IPO everyone was expecting. What do you say about well, Bitcoin Eric? Power? I think that what people think is you got the DoorDash, you got the Uber, you got the you know all these different services, the Postmates, the Caviar, and it's just too competitive out there. And you know what? Even though they have a superior business model and a superior state of mind, I do think that in the end the long knives are out for them. Ha! Let's go to Victoria in California. Victoria.
1: Hi, Jim. Victoria. Hi. I'm heavily invested in the transportation stock, um, specifically United Parcel and FedEx. Can you tell me how you see these two companies responding to the market as the trade deal gets dissolved? And well, what do you see as the future of the company? I'm not
3: crazy about the idea you got both of those, because then we start talking about diversification. I think UPS, which yields 4%, is a very good situation. I think FedEx down at 160, where it's really come in, is also good. But... These are precisely the kinds of stocks that will get hammered every day that this trade war goes on. As long as you recognize that there will be a V move up when things are solved, you'll be fine. But please accept more downside. Sarah in North Carolina. Sarah. Hi, Jim. This is Sarah from lovely
1: Newboro, North Carolina. My even stock know. is Thor. And I really like this company, which manufactures RVs out of Elkhart, Indiana. They have strong sales growth and
0: earnings per share numbers and 20% ROE and ROIC numbers for the last 10 years with very low debt. But I bought their stock last year, and since then... Thor has brought the hammer down on me, and the stock has dropped from 109 in
1: September to the 50s. It was up today, but uh, will Thor lift Mjolnir off my portfolio anytime soon?
3: Well, Sarah, I've got to tell you, certainly not getting it at the high. It is a very well-run company. It has a great product, but that's the... It doesn't matter how well run it's got input costs that are going up It's got some labor issues and it's got worries about the Millennials not buying them like they did I think it's fine if you take a longer-term view. Is that a cop-out? I don't know in the hundreds It wasn't fine in the 50s. It does seem fine. Hey, look at I'm looking at camping world Stocks at 11. I don't know at some point that's got to stop too. It's just that I haven't found the levels all right Neither the U.S. nor China is going to give in so easily in trade people, despite the kinds of chatter you hear from the president. And the market needs to bake in as much negative news as possible if we're ever going to get a bottom with key stocks. I'll make money tonight as the losses begin to mount in this market. Wondering if it's time to buy? I'm giving my take. Then, the more more connected we become, the more we rely on a set of stocks that have been flying under the radar when it comes to the 5G build-out. I'm calling up behind-the-scenes cell phone plays. And after a wild week for the pharmaceutical company Malincrot, shares dropping over 20% in a single session. What's next for the company? I'm eyeing the decline. So stay with Kramer.
1: visibility at indeed.com slash mad money. Just go to indeed.com slash mad money right now and support this show by saying you heard about Indeed on this podcast. Indeed.com slash mad money. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed.
3: As the losses mount, we're starting to see the kind of capitulation starting that can ultimately create bargains and allow the stock market to bottom. However, we need to be sure. we, we got to try to measure this. we got to find out where the bargains are most likely to be found. We need to know where to dive. We don't want to end up in the dumpster. We do want to land in the grotto azure. Before we get into the specifics, obviously, this market is just plain awful. I mean, there's no denying it. We have the largest cash position for my charitable trust that we've had in ages. And yet, as we tell members of the Plus.com club, we don't see much that's worth buying here. I didn't pull the trigger on anything. I kept looking down when it was down 400. We went over and, over and over. Nothing! Because the stocks of the best-run companies are still very close to their highs, while the worst companies simply aren't worth owning at any price. Or at least, they need to go a lot lower before they become enticing. While sentiment's going negative, no doubt about it, it's not negative enough to trigger a huge rally, maybe just an oversold bounce. Unless we get some kind of real breakthrough with China, not a soundbite, not a tweet, real breakthrough, something I've repeatedly told you not to expect or believe without hard facts, not presidential rhetoric, the market's got more downside. Second, if a company reports a great quarter, but management also talks about how they're not sure what will happen if the president imposes more tariffs, its stock gets crushed. Hey, that's why Best Buy got nailed today, down almost 5%. Best Buy's actually, it reported a fabulous quarter. Go look at the statement. Management just couldn't give a coherent, cohesive answer about what would happen to its earnings if we get another round of tariffs. It's simply too hard for them to fathom until we know what these tariffs will be applied to. In the meantime, nobody wants to go near these companies with Chinese exposure. Third of the charts, I think they're actually in charge here. Bruce Cambridge, the technician I work with most closely at RealMoney.com, where I blog every day, he says that only six of the Dow stocks, six, are still in an uptrend. That's awful. The charts are indeed disastrous. Of all the stocks I've asked Cambridge to opine on, I've asked him to do charts for dozens of them in the last week. Dozens. The, uh, only the managed care names are any good. Everything else, well, look we'll at Best Buy. It's about a point away from making one of the ugliest head-and-shoulders patterns I've ever seen. Fourth, this market feels so sloppy to me. People keep drawing conclusions all over the place that seem driven by desperation rather than rigor. For example, today, BMO, and I firm I love, BMO downgraded one of my favorite stocks, Chipotle. Why? They're worried about the African swine fever. The gist? Chipotle has more pork exposure than anyone else in the coverage universe, 10%. 10% exposure. Wow, 10%. That could crush them. Except in reality, as Chief Financial Officer Jack Hartung told me this afternoon, it's less than 2% because Chipotle doesn't buy just any old commodity pork. They buy higher quality meat, which is why I don't anticipate any meaningful impact from the African swine fever at all. This is the kind of analysis that's born of fear and specs of a market that's getting ready to bottom. Chipotle's you know stock got slammed nearly 5% on, this B, on BMO's errant note. I'm the first person to correct this, people, and it's one of the few real bargains, therefore, that I see, although you might be able to get it even lower if you're patient because this market's so bad, but at least you know it's 2, not 10. In the end, a potential rally is all about hope, as in there's still too much hope in this market. People hope the president will relent on trade. They hope the Chinese will capitulate. They hope our economy will be able to shrug off the tariffs because employment is so strong. They hope that the Fed cuts rates, and that's a lot of optimism. And it needs to be crushed before the market can bottom. Put it another way, we need to see more capitulation before I get comfortable buying stocks into the weakness here, particularly because once we start doing it well again, it's going to be another onslaught of IPOs. We lack the washout, people. An essential ingredient at all times in forming a bottom after a big sell-off. That's why we need to see a gigantic down opening followed by a rebound. That's what I'm looking for, and we aren't there yet until I see it. You know, you, you know it, when, it, when it happens, though, you know what's going kind of, it only, let's see, I'll have to tell you about it. I mean, I, I look at these things. I follow capitulations, crescendo sell-offs, real bottoms, not dead count bounces. And I will share them to you with you. I will. I wish I could say today's lows will mark the bottom and the bounce this afternoon was the real deal. But that will only happen if Trump or the Chinese ease up on the trade war. And my crystal ball doesn't see it yet. That's why you need to wait here. If you buy right now on anything other than a slam super growth stock down on a general market pullback, well, you're banking on hope. And hope should never be part of the equation. Stick with Craig.
0: People today can spend half their lives over 50. So it's good to be financially ready for what's important to you as you get older, like a family vacation. Jenny! Or starting your dream business. Welcome to Connie's Coffee. How may I help you? AARP's trusted financial tools can help you plan for whatever your future holds. That's why the younger you are, the more you need AARP. Start planning today at aarp.org/slash money tools. This podcast is supported by FedEx. Dear small and medium businesses, no one wants happy customers more than you do. That's why FedEx offers you picture-proof of delivery.
3: On hideous days like this, where it feels like the whole market was weighed down by trade war worries.
2: know what I like to
3: do, I like to look for the stocks that manage to hold up in spite of the gravitational pull of the averages. That's the kind of day where you can really see some great ones that surface. And you know what? Uh, You want to know about what I thought was good today? I thought the cell tower stocks, American Tower, Crown Castle and SBA Communications. I mean, it's long been a favorite of mine, but let's drill down here. What makes the group so resilient? You know I've liked the cell tower cohort for, for years. These companies have a great business model, and now they've got a brand new catalyst. It's the rollout of 5G wireless networks, which makes their tower real estate even more valuable. And unlike many of the other 5G plays, like the semiconductor companies that everyone was piling into, the cell towers, they've got very little exposure to China. Whereas, say, a 5G oriented chipmaker like Xilinx, which we like very much, has been crushed since President Trump's blacklist, blacklisted Huawei. It's one of the largest clients. Well, these can't be blacklisted. There's nothing in their DNA that's going to hurt them. Now, uh, even without this catalyst, the cell tower business has a lot going for it. American Tower, Crown Castle, and SBA Communications invest in the infrastructure that powers our our wireless networks. Then they charge carriers a fee to use that infrastructure. Fee-based business. Subscription, basically. Once you build a tower, you can just add another antenna to it when you pick up a new client. So the margins are terrific. The same piece of real estate could be servicing ATT. Verizon, Sprint, and T-Mobile. Plus, obviously, the industry's been in growth mode for the past 20 years. With the ascendance of the smartphone power by the very fast 4G technology, we now use cell networks for everything these days, and this boom in data usage requires more and more infrastructure. So what happens when you add even faster 5G to the mix? We know that carriers are spending fortunes to build out new 5G capabilities. Sprint and T-Mobile argued that 5G is the reason why they can't afford uh, to compete with AT&T and Verizon unless they're allowed to merge. I actually think they have a good point. I didn't initially. John Ledger explained it to me, CEO of T-Mobile. I said, ah, I'm suspicious, but you know, I think he's got a good point. And my old uh, antitrust professor, Philip Arita, is probably rolling over in his grave He was the the godfather of antitrust. Normally, the regulators are not supposed to permit a four-to-three merger, a deal that takes an industry from four major players to three major players. Oh, come on. That's terrible. It's the definition of anti-competitive behavior. But we've already allowed AT&T and Verizon to become so concentrated that the smaller operators can't afford to keep up with them unless they combine forces. It would be more competitive to make this merger happen. It's not much of a choice to let Sprint and T-Mobile hang together, or AT&T and Verizon will ultimately hang them separately. I fear that a sprint isn't allowed to merge with T-Mobile. It will diminish as a force. It is a terrible balance sheet and won't be able to compete anyway. I would gladly take three healthy competitors, then two healthy competitors, one good competitor and one left behind to atrophy fourth player. Hey, you're going to get three of the way under that scenario, so why not have the third to be competitive? Spend more money on towers. I bring this up because the 5G build-out requires an enormous amount of investment, and that's good news for the cell tower place. With each successive generation of cellular networks, there's a greater and greater need for basic infrastructure. After all, streaming Netflix on your iPhone XR takes a lot more bandwidth than making calls on your Motorola StarTAC flip phone did 20 years ago. It's been 20 years. Meanwhile, this is one industry that actually benefits from the heightened trade tensions with China. Why? Because the trade wars turned 5G into a national priority for countries all over the world. Hey, that's why Trump keeps going after Chinese telco companies like ZTE and Huawei. In the past, the biggest obstacle to putting up new cell towers was red tape. You have to deal with local, state, federal governments at every step of the process. At it's worst, It can take years. But now we have a national policy. Last fall, the Federal Communication Commission, the FCC, uh, stepped in with its 5G fast plan, which streamlined the process of getting approval, making it harder for cities to block the deployment of 5G and putting caps on the fees they can charge. With these new rules, the shackles came off and the tower companies were free to build. Based on the latest results, the new regulatory regime has been a real boom for the entire industry. So let me walk you through them one by one, starting with American Tower, which is the big daddy, okay? It's the largest independent owner, operator, and developer of wireless real estate on Earth. There are 41,000 properties in the U.S., 130,000 in the ROW, rest of the world. Now, this is the least domestically bunch, with only 53% of its revenues coming from the United States. When American Tower reported a strong quarter three weeks ago, CEO James Tacklett, long a Kramer fave from the old days, explained the scale of the opportunity. In the US, mobile data usage should grow at a 30 to 40% annual clip. They're already seeing their tenants boost their spending as the 5G rollout begins. Now, all these companies are real estate investment trusts, or REITs, and AMT is no exception. I mean, you're probably curious, right? Stock yields just 1.8%. Well, that's not AMT's fault. They've been steadily boosting their payout. It's just that the stock price keeps rising faster than they can keep up. The one problem with American Tower, it's got some issues in India, which accounts for 20% of its sales. But other than that, this is a steady Eddie Cell Tower play, absolutely worth owning. That said, with the stock less than a buck away from its highs, you should see that chart. You might want to wait for a pullback before you pull the trigger. Next up, there's Crown Castle, CCI. It's the second largest player, which is 100% domestic. For years, Crown Castle stock lagged behind American Towers, but this year it's beginning to break out. and, And now it's my favorite in the space. It's not just that Crown Castle has no international exposure, although the fact that you don't have to worry about India or Brazil is a real positive. It's that the company spent years building out so-called small cell towers, little units that can fit on a lamppost. These small cells have much less coverage than massive towers, but they help maintain a strong signal. Think of them as the last mile of the wireless logistics chain. And we're going to need a ton of these small cells for 5G, as in millions upon millions of them. As CEO Jay Brown explained on the latest conference call, towers are like overhead lighting. They give you generate, general illumination, but small cells are like lamps focusing the light in a particular area. Although, if you want to take just one thing away from that call, it's this. I'm going to quote, we believe the network infrastructure needed to support 5G will dramatically increase the demand for our tower and fiber assets over time. End quote. That was the one that, quote, that made me wanted to do this piece to begin with. Put it all together. And you got a stock that was practically tailor-made for this moment. Plus, Crown Castle has a bountiful 3.5% yield, which is nothing to sneeze at. Finally, there's SBA Communications. It's the smallest of the three, gets over 80% of its revenue from the uh, United States. SBA, frankly, is the least favorite of mine, although I've always liked it. It benefits from the same dynamics as American Tower and Crown Castle, but it doesn't pay a dividend, and it's got the weakest balance sheet. Uh, Of the three, Uh, the worst of all, management simply doesn't seem all that jazzed about 5G. In fact, while SBA Communications put an excellent quarter at the end of April, management didn't mention 5G at all in their prepared remarks on the conference call. When the analysts tried to ask them what 5G meant for their future, these guys seemed oddly eager to change the subject. Hey, it's a nice, simple growth story driven by the ever rising need for more bandwidth. But if you want a 5G player, I think you're better off with American Tower or new fave Crown Castle. Bottom line, when you see a group rally on an ugly day, wow, you might want to check out what that's that's all about. What's driving the strength? The Cell Tower stocks are in raging bull market mode, with the coming build-out of 5G giving them an extra catalyst, which is why I'm a big fan of Crown Castle, Lester X, and American Tower, even if we may lose a carrier competitor in the meantime to a gigantic merger. Denise in California, Denise!
1: Hey, Jim. First, I want to say I'm almost 57 years old and I never knew anything about investing. It was kind
0: of
3: scary to me. So thank you so much for what you do, for teaching me about investing. Thank you. And I bought Arista Networks a few months ago and it's down, obviously. Is this a reaction to what's
0: happening with China or is it overblown? Should I sell it now or should I hold it?
3: In which company was it? A? Arista. A- Arista. Uh, okay, I happen to have a soft spot for this company. I know they're a competitor with, to Chuck Robbins and Cisco. I think this uh, Jayshree Yulal has done a remarkable job. People felt the quarter wasn't that strong. I would love to have Jayshree come on and explain it the other ways because I have been recommending Cisco, but Jayshree's put up some great numbers over time. Larry in Florida. Larry. Hey, Jim. Larry. Yep. Go
2: ahead. Question for you.
3: Sure. Uh, CenturyLink CTL. Uh, I've been scaling into it since the uh, they cut the dividend and they set the new business plan. And right. I kind of like the fact that they were cutting debt, uh, you know, being the largest fiber optics in the country with the 5G coming on, uh, possibly a potential buyout. Uh, since they cut the <laughs> dividend and and i am scaled into it, so I'm not a bad number, but uh, I'm just wondering, should I sell it? I think Jeff's story's it got a plan, but the I, I, I can't recommend this stock. I've been hating it all the way down. I've been saying that there's no room for these guys. Uh, I don't think you should own it. Um, they've done... They're doing their best, but it just ain't good enough. It's such an ugly day, but the cell towers are shining. I'm a fan of Crown Castle and the Lester stand American Tower. Watch where made have money at after this week's plunge in Mallinckrodt. Is there any hope for this stock? Or is there a bottom in sight? Not clear. I'm going to give you my take. Then a cancer fighting biotech that's up nearly 70% year to date. Could it be a winner? And oil calls rapid fire in tonight's edition of The Lightning Round. So stay with Kramer.
2: Tomorrow, kick off the trading day with Squawk on the Street. Live from Post Nine at the NYSE. Yeah,
3: Nobody can quote
2: party like the party. Come on, that's kind of funny. <laughs> that is kind of fun. Thank you. Well, that's why you're
4: <laughs> that a writer is... for SNL. <laughs> How's... That was Whatever, good. Wasn't? You are. Yeah. Yeah. Michael yeah. Smith, chief hey, economist hey, at Tesla. Sat-
2: it all starts at 9 a.m. Eastern.
3: Even in a terrible week for the averages. The house of pain. One stock stands out as the worst of the worst. I'm talking about Malinckrod, MNK, the one-story pharmaceutical company that's been around in one form or another since the 19th century. For the past few years, Malancroix has been a total horror show, with the stock plummeting from $134 at its peak in 2015 to 8 bucks in change as of today. But even after a breathtaking multi-year breakdown, Malancroix got annihilated this week down 38% since last Friday. Last Friday. Now, whenever you see a stock fall apart like this, it is always worth examining what went wrong so it doesn't happen again to you, if only so that you can avoid similar situations. That's unbelievable. Holy cow. In the case of Mallinckrodt, the stock lost 24% of its value on Tuesday when the company announced that it was suing the Department of Health and Human Services as well as the Center for Medicare and Medicaid Services because both agencies have taken punitive actions against their main breadwinner, a drug called Acthar gel, suing the government Novel. Honestly, it's fitting that Actar was the final nail in the coffin for these guys. This is long been a long bit of controversial product from being before Malencred acquired it in 2014. That was this company's undoing. Practically from the moment they bought Questcar, which is uh, Questcar is the company that had the uh, that had Actar. It has been one leg down after another. The lesson here is that when management makes a truly catastrophic mistake. It can be very difficult to quantify the downside, because the pain may end up reverberating for a long time. That's what happened with Malincrope bought QuestCore. That's how a stock goes from $134 to $8 in a little more than
1: four years.
3: So I'm going to walk you through what happened here. Malincrope, as it's currently configured, emerged in 2013 when it was spun off by Covidian. And if you remember, Covidian itself was spun off by Tycho in 2007. The new Malincrope was a roll-up. Its purpose was to gobble up other drug companies and build itself into a major pharmaceutical colossus. Reasonable. And for the first couple of years, that strategy seemed to work. From 2013 through the spring of 2015, Mallinckrodt's stock was red hot. Then it all came tumbling down thanks to one very bad decision. I also have to say some equally bad luck because these people are very nice people. I've met them. That decision in 2014, Mallinckrodt shelled out a gigantic $5.6 billion, huge amount for a company, a mid-cap company, to buy QuestCore. And QuestCore was all about one product, Gel. And that's A-C-T-H-A-R, if you're wondering. What kills me is that for years, the bears have been telling us that Actar was a total scam. There's a compound that was discovered in the 1950s. No patent protection. Actar was all about forgotten until Questcor acquired the rights to it in 2001 for just $100,000. $100,000 versus five bills. Wait a second. So how did Questcor end up selling itself to Mallinckrodt for billions on the strength of this one franchise? Simple. No one else was making Actar gel. So they used their monopoly power to raise prices by truly insane amounts. Then, QuestCore started marketing the drug aggressively. Originally, it was only a treatment for a rare di- disease found in, di- in uh, babies, just babies. But they started billing it as a treatment for multiple sclerosis, kidney disease, and lupus. Again, Actar had been approved for this stuff decades ago when the requirements weren't as strict as they are now. Now, QuestCard made a fortune with the strategy, and that's why Mallinckrodt wanted to buy it. But even at the the time, it was obviously, I felt, not sustainable. Sure enough, less than a year later, we started seeing some major public backlash on drug pricing. And Actar was one of the most outrageous examples, an old drug that's probably not as good as the competition, yet they were charging an arm and a leg for it. By 2017, a bunch of high-profile short sellers started coming around after this Mallinckrodt Getting, uh, for it, getting all of its profits from this one shady product. I can put, let's you know, say, allegedly shady. I'll do it every one here. Andrew Left of Citron Research called them, and I quote, the most reviled company in the pharmaceutical industry, end quote, uh, and that is really saying something, even though I believe that Andrew is given to hyperbole. In September of 2017, the Journal of American Medical Association, JAMA, noted that Actar was one of the most expensive drugs in the system, but most of its sales uh, were coming from a relatively small group of doctors who were prescribing it very heavily. That raises eyebrows, doesn't it? Since then, we've learned about two lawsuits alleging that Mallinckrodt bribed doctors using kickbacks to help boost sales. Hmm, potential accusation of price fixing. For years now, the stock has been clobbered because Mallinckrodt's numbers are slipping as customers switch to other, less expensive drugs. So what happened this week? On Tuesday, the company filed that lawsuit against the federal government to, quote, protect Medicaid patients' access to Actar gel, end quote. Why? Well, the Department of Health and Human Services, along with the Centers for Medicare and Medicaid Services, effectively decided to cut Medicare reimbursement Reimbursement for Actar—that is death now. <laughs> Regardless of the legal merits of Malincrad's case, it's hard to argue that Medicare should pay you more money when, at the same very same time, you're also being accused of price fixing. Not a good look. A real bad set of facts, as my lawyer likes to say. What, what happens if Mallinckrodt loses this lawsuit? In that case, the company says they're looking at a 10% reduction in ACTAR-related sales. It could also cost them as much as $600 million in retroactive Medicare and Medicaid rebates. And while ACTAR only accounts for about a third of Mallinckrodt's sales, it represents a much higher percentage of the company's profits, more than 100% according to rigorous or, or sometimes, they would say, a notorious short seller Jim Chenos. Every time it seemed like Mallinckrodt had been punished enough, there were some new Actar-related developments that pushed the stocks to lower. This week is just the latest example in a very long pattern. All these were about news events, frankly. And that's not the only problem here. Yet, You know what? The whole reason Mallinckrodt bought QuestGuard in the first place was to diversify away from its core generic drug business, which has a lot of painkiller exposure. Painkiller, and this is not a great time to be in the painkiller business Read opioid, please. So last year, Mallinckrodt announced that it would be spinning off its generic business as a separate company in an effort to unlock value. At first, investors seemed excited about owning a leaner, meaner Mallinckrodt focused on Actar. But these new developments sent its stock into a tailspin. While the downfall of Mallinckrodt has been tough to watch, you know, it's like a car accident. At the end of the day, the company's problems really are of their own making. The fault, dear, Malencrot, is not in your stars, but in yourselves. It was clear that QuestCorp deal was problematic from the very beginning. That whole business was powered by little more than sheer greed, and it didn't take long for the public to sour on the allegedly corrupt practices that made Questcor's business worth buying. Turns out, Malincourt's actar sales were unsustainable, and for years the stock has been hammered as we found out more and more details about this cor- this, this story. Here's here's the bottom line. Right now, Malincourt trades at just over one times earnings. Mm, sounds cheap. If they somehow win this lawsuit against the government, well, you know what's going to roar higher. But I don't know. I think crop may not be worth speculating on. They're actually, even at this price, maybe too much risk. Can you imagine? You want to wager that the Actar-related weakness is already baked in? You know what? It's been a sucker's bet for years. I know the stock's come down a lot, but if you insist on buying it because you like that risk award, you are on your own. But then again, in this market, aren't we all? They have money's back in place. It is time. It's over the light round. Don't talk, rap girls. One of those. You see, Mr. Stuck is saying, "Bye, bye, bye." Just really doing that. Let us know. And then the light round's over. Are you ready? Skate. for the light round because we're going with Phil in Pennsylvania.
1: Phil. Hey, Jim. Action Alerts Plus member here.
3: Yes.
0: Hey, my uh, question is whether or not with this recent market downturn, uh, there's a buying opportunity with Cypress Semiconductors.
3: I wish we were down a little bit low, but, you know, we Mr. El Corio recently, and I do think he tells a very, very good story. But that said, semiconductors, you know how people feel. Sell, 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 sell. It's sell. tough to fight. Kevin in Minnesota, Kevin. Jim, thanks for taking my call. Of course. Hey, Jim, Amy,
1: when is the stock of American Airlines ever going to take flight?
3: I have got to tell you, I look at that stock, and I just, you know, they fixed the balance sheet. It's doing really well, but no one wants it. They like Continental, by the way. That's the only one that you can really recommend that has a lot of fervor to it. Let's go to Nick in Texas. Nick! Jim, Jim, Jim. Greatest show on earth. Thank you, Nick, Nick, Nick. What's up?
2: Long, long time. First time. Um, I, I was forced on to disability early and unexpectedly, and I hope you never uh, close your show up. Help us. For as long as you can, please. So All right, part, we'll do.
3: We'll do. Uh,
2: two parts. Two parts. Blackstone six years, bought twenty eight, went forty three, down twenty three, back to where it is today. And I'm looking for a, a better stock performer with a good dividend. If uh, second part, if I was in a- AEP for those years, I would have been a much happier man, of course. Right. Uh,
3: well, market electric power hit hit its all-time high today. But, you know, that's Nick Jenkins. He's been unbelievably good. We know he's money. I've got to tell you, uh, uh, Blackstone, I think it, it's it's happened, frankly. It's time to ring the register there. There are other ones that have uh, bigger... D- Look, I, I actually prefer Verizon. I, I, I kind of had to... Uh, although, kind of... Uh, no, kind of... Let's go to Craig in Florida.
1: Craig! yeah, Jim, from oh. Summerfield, Florida. Okay. Love your show. Thank you. Uh... My question tonight is uh, about uh, United Technologies. I bought it before they, had, just before they announced they were going to split into three companies. Sure, um, I'm not sure how to evaluate it going forward for a long-term investor. Do you stay through the? This- all right, Craig used the key term. Out. It's
3: long term. Because right now, I feel that all. That every time we get negative news on China, sell, sell, like sell, we sell, did sell, today, sell, you know, ka ching, ka ching, ka But you know, this is Greg Hayes. He's bringing out value. The value is going to come by year end. I think the stock at 130 has 10 down and 30 up. I like that. But at 120, people will say, you idiot. You put me in this stock and went down 10. So it probably goes down 10 first. Um, let's go to Deborah Nevada. Deborah!
2: Oh.
1: Deborah. Yeah, hi, uh, Jim. Love watching the show. Thank you. Um, just curious about uh Shockwave Medical I think he We like the spec.
3: Has- we did some work on it. We like the spec of Shockwave. We thought it seemed pretty interesting. Remember, specs though are made to be broken at this market. And that ladies Good. the Lightning Round.
2: The Lightning Round is sponsored by TD Ameritrade.
3: After st- another ugly day for the averages, where everyone was freaking out about the trade war, of course, what groups are still worth speculating on? How about healthcare? Consider the case of TG Therapeutics, and the symbol here is TGTX. I know a small-cap, early-stage biopharmaceutical company that's focused on fighting cancer and autoimmune diseases. A lot of times you ask about this, Doctor, in the lightning round. While it's been a wild trader historically, so far 2019, terrific year. Shares are up to 75%. company benefits from a string of positive developments, including some positive clinical trial data for one of their lead drugs, and that's treatment for marginal zone lymphoma, although it won't be marginal if you have it. We're going to discuss what this means. Now, TJTX has pulled back from its highs of late. I got kind of to wonder if it's worth buying this recent spate of weakness, particularly because we don't have to worry about trade wars. So let's take a close look with Michael Weiss. He's the CEO of TG Therapeutics to learn more about how the company's doing, where it's headed. Mr. Weiss, welcome back to Mad Money. Good to see you, Michael. Have a seat. Great to see you. Thank you. Okay, uh, I didn't know it. My staff told me it's been almost four years yeah, since we've it. seen you. So why don't you talk about the journey? Because you've got a lot of things you're on the cusp of. Yeah. So it's been uh, it's been a busy
4: four years. Right. Uh, some ups and downs. I think uh, you right. mentioned on the in the opening. Uh, but uh, recently we've had a really nice string of, of good results. We have, uh, like I said, marginal zone lymphoma is uh, is heading hopefully to uh, to an approval. Right. And uh, along the way, it's been, you know, I, I think look. TG is a bit of an unconventional company versus some some small-cap biotechs who typically go after a very small indication Mm -hmm. in relapsed patients. Uh, We decided to go after first-line patients. So we're trying to create cures for patients. And to do that, you have to go early, but it takes a long time. And so that long
3: time creates some volatility along the way. Okay, well, uh, I think people are going to say... Marginal, and they said, "Well, why is it you mar- explain the wording there so people know how <laughs> big
4: it is?" Yeah, so marginal zone is uh, is a form of indolent uh, lymphoma. Okay, uh, it starts in the marginal zone of the B cell, so it's it's a location of where the disease starts in your B cells, but it's not okay. a marginal disease. It's actually the second largest indolent form of uh, lymphoma. It has about seven or eight thousand new cases per year. Wow. So okay, so this is not worth drug material. Uh, so we it, it we could do, be we do have orphan drug designation. Okay, we do have breakthrough designation. That's a lot of people. It's a lot of people. So it's not what well, maybe some could call an ultra orphan. Yes, um, but it is. A, so it's an orphan, but it's a good sized uh, market. It's a lot of patients who have this disease. Okay, and
3: I know you said. in... Uh, in your uh, Q&A that you, you do have, like, these informal meetings with the FDA. I didn't know that people just – you said you had a nice talk with the FDA at one point. What's that like when you go to the FDA and say, listen, I've got a drug, and I think you ought to really think about it? Uh,
4: it it's great when they're happy when you, when you say that and they, and they give you positive feedback. It's great. When you say that and they give you not-so-positive feedback, not so good. So it, the meetings are, uh, are always super professional. Uh, they're super smart they see everything right so you have to you have to realize like we're in our own little cocoon and we're working on our drug they see every drug right Right? so they're getting inputs from so many different companies at a very deep level so when you talk to them they're super smart they know what's going on and we're coming in and we're hoping that what we think is great is great great. and sometimes you're right and sometimes you're not Uh, well how
3: about the MS formulation where are you there uh... ms is
4: is is looking really really good looks really it's very big
3: huge companies that are in there trying to do it we had Novartis on the other day they're a multi-billion dollar club Club. I I look at a company like them versus TG Therapeutics I say how is it possible you could possibly beat them
4: yeah so look I think it's a value proposition to the patient right it's what you bring to the patient big or small I won't say Novartis was once a small company, but I assume they were. Who can remember <laughs> that far back? But Celgene was a small company. Right. Uh, you know, Amgen was a tiny company. Genentech before. That's a funny so point. So you can you can compete if you have a good value proposition for the patient. And in MS, I think we have a great value proposition. We're coming in with a drug in a class of drugs which is known to work. Our drug has worked in phase two. Uh, the drug that's on the market did two billion dollars in its first. Uh, Full-year sales, it's on a run rate for $4 billion in second-year sales. So it's a huge market. They're expecting just the CD20, which is our target, mm-hmm. part of that market to be uh, $10 billion. So we're going to come in with a convenient once-every-six-month dosing. It's going to be a one-hour infusion, so super convenient to the patient. It's also great for the infusion suites. They can move patients in and out very mm-hmm. easily. Uh, and also, look, we're a tiny company. We don't care that much about price. So we can be very strategic, very competitive on pricing. And again, price is not just about lowering the price. It's about creating access to the patients. And that's really the
3: case. Okay, but you, you, you don't have I mean, you're very minimal revenue. You do have some cash. Very minimal revenue, like right. zero, like zero. negative. Okay. I didn't want. All right, <laughs> all right. Well, I didn't know it was, true. Okay, I was, you know, I've, I was going to say, nice. you have no it's revenue, nice. but I, but um, that uh, that does always concern our viewers. They'll say, listen, the sure. guy, the guy's sure. been on four, almost four years ago, and and, and and he has no revenue. So why should we believe in in TG Thorough? And you know, I get so many. You hear it on the lightning round yeah, all the time. That's great. Why should I, if I call in the lightning round, say it's say to that caller, you know what? Even though they have no revenue, you got to stick with it. Because
4: developing drugs is a, is a long, arduous process, but when you get there, oh, it's, big. It, it's big, right? And we're looking at markets. MS is a $10 billion market. If we just had 20, 30% of that market, which we don't think is unreasonable. CLL is another $10 billion market. Again, 20, 30% right. market share, not unreasonable. We're talking about huge markets. Again, a lot of small biotech right. companies go after those very nichey $100, $200 million right. no, markets. this is not that. We're going after something that's much bigger.
3: Okay, once again, I want to uh, caution people. It's speculative. But, you know, when you call in, do you see why I say, hey, listen, if you want a spec and it comes in, think about what do, what any, either one of those would do to the stock of TG Therapeutics. I want to thank Michael Weiss, CEO of TG. Thank you so much for coming on the show. Thank Good you. to see really you, you again, it. sir. Thanks. Stick with Kramer. You have to understand that this market is trying to find a bottom. But there's got to be more capitulation. There's got to be more negativity baked into the cake. And yes, we have to resolve the Apple situation because that's the one that's on everybody's tongue. Will the Chinese take action? Will the president take action? I don't know. But we got to get some resolution first. I like to say there's always a bull market somewhere. I promise you I'll find it just for you right here on Mad Money. I'm Jim Cramer, and I will see you tomorrow.